Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what's your uh, your relationship with tattoos? Do you have tattoos? Mm. Does anyone close to you have tattoos? Well, I don't have a tattoo. I'm non-committal by nature, and this is how I found out. Yeah. Is by pondering, like, well, maybe I'll get a tattoo. What tattoo would I get? And then just being like, I can't commit. Um, my husband is tattooed, and I like them. I, I particularly like chef tattoos hmm. that exalt like their favorite kind of food or their favorite knife. Oh yeah, like the, there's the guy on um, Mind of a Chef, the second season, who has the the one arm is sleeved in different uh, vegetables and ingredients. Yeah. Uh, my apologies for not remembering his name, but check out the uh, second season of uh, Mind of a Chef. It's really good stuff. Yeah, but this can be really kind of fascinating. What about you? Uh, well, I do have one tattoo, uh, and to your non-committal uh, uh, thing that you brought up, uh, indeed, with me it was like, like a long sort of deciding process because I, I always kind of wanted one, but I wasn't impulsive enough to just go out and get like some stupid tattoo in junior high or high school. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking, all right, if I get the one tattoo, get one one mark on my body that's going to be permanent. You know, what is it going to be? Where am I going to put it? It has to have some sort of um, you know, it needs to be a potent enough symbol. It needs to, uh, to, to, to mean something to me because if you get a whole bunch of them, if you just get sleeves and you, you can afford to have some duds in the mix, right? And you sure. can cover them up later on. But if you're just going to get the one, you got to really hit it out of the park. So, um, so I, it's, you know, you can argue that maybe I didn't hit it out of the park with this Stop one. Stop with the suspense. Tell well, us okay. about it. So it's, um, I, I had the design done by an artist by the name of Michael Manning. And it's uh, it's on my um, my ribs, mm-hmm. and it's the uh, it's, ouch. It, yeah, it was it was probably not a, a great place pain wise for a, a first tattoo, but it's uh, essentially the spear wound of Christ, but it's also kind of like um, a vulva and also kind of like an eye. So mm-hmm. like I had those three requests because I'm always I've always been fascinated with um, with some of the stranger Christ imagery, particularly images such as the you know the. Where the, the finger is going into the uh, the hole in mm-hmm. the resurrected Christ's body, and the idea that uh, uh, that the spear wound in the resurrected Christ is is not only like yonic symbolism, but is also but is ultimately about combining masculine and feminine aspects of God into one body. So uh, I was always interested in all that stuff. So I thought, well, hell, I'll just get a tattoo that kind of encompasses some of those ideas and uh, is kind of a you know a, a shifting amorphous symbol of something. Well, I was just about to say you really nailed it, but that's. Not a oh, great yeah. choice of words. Um, yeah. But really, seriously, I mean, that is a thoughtful tattoo. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And plus, it's out of the way, so nobody sees it unless I'm, you know, swimming or something. So there you it, go. It works on all counts. Now, a 2012 Harris poll found that 21% of American adults have a tattoo. That's one in five, which is a lot higher than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, part of it is that you don't necessarily have to see tattoos. I've, uh, I've, I've seen it when I was researching this. I kept coming across, I don't know, something in the keywords I was throwing in. I kept finding an article about Dolly Parton being secretly covered in yes. tattoos. I think she has a butterfly or something yeah. emerging from her bosom. But, I mean, I've, I've never seen it. So, so Nor have I. Nor, so, so everybody could essentially have butterfly tattoos on their sternums, but unless you're at the beach with them, you're just not going to know. Oh, you're going to call it the sternum? The sternum, yeah. I guess. <laughs> all right. Um, you probably are familiar with all sorts of sites that celebrate the, the good, the bad, the terrible. 
of tattoos because one of the, the intriguing things about tattoos is that they can be permanent, although we have technology now to uh, get rid of them. But essentially what you're doing is you're trying to immortalize some sort of idea. So when you see some bad grammar in a tattoo, then it's especially mortifying, right? Yeah, bad grammar, just weird, perplexing imagery. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly the one that I always come back to is the one of the, the dolphin sitting on a like a lazy boy recliner smoking a bomb. That's one of my favorites. Um and really that's 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 not even like one of the worst tattoos. No, I mean, it's not. It's, like it's not really offensive to anybody. Uh it's just strange that someone was like that. That's going that's, on me and I'm going to take yeah. it with me to the grave. It's going to last longer than my life that tattoo. Now there's one I saw that was super earnest and kind of sad only cuz of the way it turned out, but uh, um it was a back tattoo that said only God can judge me. The -hmm. problem with it is that it had super fancy scrolls. So that J looked like an F. (laughs) And so it it turned out essentially looking like only God can fudge me. Fudge me. Okay. All right. Uh, It's, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's the the power of tattoos, though, is that that it's it's the the permanence or the the ideal permanence of the thing. It's what can make a tattoo uh, inspiring and empowering. It's what it can make a tattoo, uh, dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've seen examples of, uh, of, of both ends of the spectrum throughout human history. I mean, you go back in time, you look at some of our earliest examples we found. Um, we found them etched in the flesh of the, uh, 5,200 year old, uh, Utsi, the Iceman. Uh, this was the uh, Iceman that we found on the Italian Austrian border back in 1991. And, uh, we also find, uh, very early examples of tattoos uh, among the Egyptians, uh, yeah. though only the females. Uh, this is a uh, really interesting. This they this would date them back to around uh, two thousand year. Two, this would date them back to around two thousand BCE. Um, and these were these women were probably they think royal courtesans, dancers, etc. Archaeologist uh, Johann Fletcher theorizes that these tattoos had a therapeutic role and functioned as a permanent form of amulet. Uh, during the very difficult, difficult time of pregnancy and birth. And these would be placed on the abdomen, um, around the breasts. And, uh, and so in this, we see the idea of the, the tattoo is, is, is a, uh, is a, almost a magical spell, is a protective, uh, feature. And, and really you see that again through, throughout human history. Even today, a lot of times we get those, those tattoos on us, um, to immortalize some, some spirit that we aspire to mm-hmm. or uh, some person that means a lot to us, some uh, deity, some supernatural force, uh, whatever, some sort of symbol- some symbolism that we wish to take into our flesh. Uh, one of the more interesting ones to me that I, I ran across was from a 1993 archaeological dig. Uh, these archaeologists were working in an icy plateau in eastern Russia and they stumbled upon a burial chamber of a mummy who became known as the Siberian Ice Princess. And her 2,500-year-old body was incredibly well-preserved in the permafrost, and it had elaborate tattoos on both of her arms. Now, her head was shaved, and she wore a wig and a tall wooden headdress decorated with cats and swans. And they think she was a princess or someone of elevated status because not only that... She was surrounded by six horses that were saddled and bridled. They were supposed to be, they think, her spiritual escorts into the other world. And uh, she also had a little um, container of cannabis 
which they then found out maybe had something to do with alleviating her pain because she did have some cancer growths in her body and she had some form of osteoporosis too. So uh, what I thought was interesting in terms of the tattoos is that the the person who led this, Natalia Polismak, says that compared to all tattoos found by archaeologists around the world, those on the mummies of the Pazric people, whom she was a part of, are the most complicated and the most beautiful. And so what's interesting about this tattoo is that they're, they're, uh, the sort of language that they deal in is of animal imagery. And so they had a kind of animal-based language, which is really cool. And Polismek says that these tattoos were used as a means of personal identification. So think of your own passport. Hmm. This idea was that this would tell the story of who you were so that in the afterlife, you could meet up with others. Interesting. There's a, it reminds me of a, an old uh, Eastern saying uh, that I ran across that said that if, if you do not have a tattoo, it, that it's almost like you don't exist. Like you're, you're basically invisible. The tat, by tattooing something into your body, mm-hmm. um, like you're making yourself more real. I'm thinking about that. Okay. All right. Now, um, you mentioned the, the sort of medicinal aspects of that tattoo. I should go back and mention that on our, uh, our friend uh, Utsi, the Iceman, uh, Utsi's tattoos consisted of dots and small crosses on his lower spine and right knee and ankle joints, and those correspond to areas of strain-induced degeneration, uh, with the suggestion here being that they may have been applied to alleviate joint pain hmm. and uh, therefore were essentially therapeutic. Essentially, uh, And again, you're getting also probably into a certain amount of, uh, of magical thinking as well and ritual, but, uh, but ultimately an early form of... Uh, uh, of a medicinal tattoo. Now you had mentioned Egyptian women and um, tattoos that would help as sort of talismans. Mm-hmm. And there's one example that the British Museum looked at. Uh, they had scanned and stripped the mummy of an Egyptian woman dating back to 700 CE. They found a tattoo on her thigh. And as de- uh, deciphered by the curators, the tattoo written in ancient Greek is transliterated as M-I-X-A-H-A or Michael. So the idea here is that it's thought that the the name was referring to the archangel Michael. And because it was placed on her inner thigh, that it might have been uh, a protection, uh, mm-hmm. not just for the birth of a child, but maybe even against a sexual uh, violent act. Huh. Interesting. Here's another interesting uh, religious tattoo. And, and I do want to point out that we're not going to attempt to chronicle every fascinating tattoo tradition that's been passed on through human history because there are many whole books have been written about this. Uh, but we're just hitting some high points here uh, for us. Um, during the Crusades in the 11th and 12th century, um, Christian warriors identified themselves with the mark of the Jerusalem cross so they could be given a proper Christian burial if they died in battle. And that, that one is kind of interesting because on one hand it's a religious tattoo, but it's also it, uh, it also is sort of uh, like some of the, the modern models of uh, medical tattoos that we'll touch on. Basically, it, saying who and what you were for anyone that would come across your body. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk prison tats. All right, we're back. Now, earlier I mean, we mentioned the, uh, the the power of tattoos, mm-hmm. and the permanence of tattoos has, of course, the, the positive and empowering side, but also uh, a negative and dehumanizing side. You do see a long tradition of penal tattoos. Uh, throughout human history, particularly uh, uh, you see it in China, you see it in Japan, you see it uh, in uh, the Hellenistic period. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea that you have you have your, your criminals 
and uh, you want to mark your criminals. So what do you do? You tattoo them and you let everyone know then for, you know, ideally for the rest of their lives, you are dealing with someone who committed this act. So that's taking the, the permanence of that tattoo and using it in a very, very negative uh, manner. Yeah. But now, you know, fast forward to today and you see prison tattoos, more of uh, aspect of prison culture. Yes. And to be clear, according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, having a tattoo kit is considered contraband for a number of reasons. It could be used as a weapon. It could uh, spread infectious disease. And yet, as we know, contraband gets through the gates. And in fact, there's an entire prison economy based on contraband. Yeah, I think we went into some of this in our... um did we go into this in our, our, our episodes about uh, digestion? Because I know Mary, Mary Roach went into the prison wallet a lot yeah. in her book. Gulp. The prison wallet. That's right. Yeah. I cannot imagine uh, smuggling a, a, a tattoo machine into my prison wallet. Well, based on some of the other things that get smuggled in, I, the, 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 the tattoo gun is probably not the worst. But uh, but indeed, I mean, you, could, you look at a prison environment and you have so many. There's, it's, it's almost a, a perfect model for why a lot of people get tattoos. Because you're cut off mm-hmm. from people you love, so you might get a tattoo uh, of some that reminds you of somebody on the outside. You also have to, uh, in many cases, bond with a different cultural group. You're, you, you know, you have prison gangs, for lack of another mm-hmm. word, prison cultures, and uh, you want to show that you are a part of that culture. You make that that culture a part of your flesh. Uh, also, it's a it's a place where some inmates find religion, and you want to True. show that uh, that this deity or this uh, this model of faith means a lot to you. So you put it into your skin. Retired law enforcement official and prison culture expert Richard Lichten says, "Quote: I've talked to many inmates, and tattoos are always about what's important to them. It can be something personal, like a spouse's name or a Bible quote, or to belong to a group, to intimidate others, or to tell a story." So I think that's really important too, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. But you know, if you're in prison and you, as you say, you want to bond with a certain group or identify with a group, the easiest way to do that is to have a permanent tattoo inked on you. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of comes back to the basic idea that as humans, we we all look kind of the same on the outside. You know, uh, there there's not there's nothing on the outside that necessarily gives a lot of depth about character, and the tattoo is an ability to take our inner world. And make it a part of our outer world. Well, and in, in terms of uh, prison culture too, it's a bit of survival, right? Yeah. Especially if you're trying to join a group or you know get protection from that group. So um, let's get to the teardrop tattoo, shall we? Kind of get oh, that yes. out of the way because there's always that always comes up, and I feel like there's no definitive answer for this. This is the idea that you have a teardrop tattoo. It mm-hmm. means you've killed somebody in prison. Yes. Okay. That's usually the, or, or I, w- I should say that most people associate it w- with, you know, the fact that the wearer has killed someone. Mm-hmm. But it can also mean that the wearer has served a long prison sentence or is mourning the loss of a family member. And a clear teardrop can mean that the wearer has committed an attempted murder or alternatively that a close friend was killed and the wearer is seeking revenge. Hmm. You know, it, we, we haven't even touched on this, but this is a callback to our episode, The Zen of Pain, and, and to a listener mail that we received, and I believe read in our mm-hmm. recent episode. Uh, getting a tattoo uh, stings a bit, uh, and uh, it's depending on on your means of uh, of, of of actually uh, uh, putting the tattoo in your flesh. Um, it, uh, it it becomes a ritual. It becomes a uh, an experience of pain, a ritual of pain, and so you have that whole dynamic going mm-hmm. on as well as you say 
get a, in the name of a departed loved one uh, put into your flesh. Yeah, and I think that the reason why that teardrop one is so poignant or so troubling to so many people because it it's such a mark on that person mm-hmm. and in such an outward expression of the angst or sadness that, that consumes them, presumably. Yeah, because when you get a facial tattoo, you're changing the way that you communicate with the world. Um, I think we've discussed before on here that uh, when, a, when a, a hominid species uh, such as humans have faces that kind of all look alike. It's mm-hmm. because the more uh, the the more alike we are, the more nuance comes out in our expressions. The more the, we're, we're better able to communicate with one another mm-hmm. because we have kind of a similar uh, facial recognition recognition system in place. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, the, the idea of a facial tattoo is often kind of uh, kind of frightening, kind of intimidating. Um, and of course, you see a great tradition of uh, of facial tattooing with the Maori people. Uh, really beautiful facial tattoos, but in, in, in particularly with the men, it's it's often a, you know it's about uh, uh, putting on this this impressive uh, visual display, this uh, aggressive display, even intimidation, right? Yeah. So it's sort of a, a kind of embodied cognition, which we've talked about before with the old lab coats uh, that people don sometimes mm-hmm. and they feel more important or more proficient. In the same way, if you're altering your face to look more intimidating or to express uh, express your grief then you are embodying that. That is changing the person that you are expressing to the world. Now, speaking of gangs and, and cultural tattoos and, and about the outward display, uh, sometimes it's about the, the hidden display as well, because I think one of the, the, the most remarkable examples of like a, a gang cultural tattoo is, of course, the, the, uh, the, the, the body tattoos of the Yakuza, uh, the Japanese gangster class. We have these elaborate designs that uh, they generally have themes of uh, of unresolved conflict and also symbols of of character traits that the uh, the, the wearer wants to aspire to. Uh, for instance, uh, the the carp often uh, shows up uh, as a representation of strength and perseverance. Yeah, and then there's also you know sort of the um, <clears throat> the language behind them. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the bonding, but it's also sort of again embodied cognition and a way of saying this is the life that I have chosen for myself. When it comes to gang tattooing, the Canada Border Services Agency uh, document tattoos and their meanings says that the three dot tattoo, usually in a triangle configuration, it signifies prison, hospital, cemetery. And that represents the path and the ultimate end of a gang lifestyle. So it's a kind of commitment to that lifestyle to to have that tattoo and say that I accept that these may be the terms of of uh, my employment or the culture that I'm entering into. Now, we mentioned uh, medical tattoos a little bit earlier. And, uh, of course, we, we still see the use of tattoos in medicine, though not as a, a mystical curative uh, factor, but uh, you do see them, for instance, to indicate uh, a medically relevant condition mm-hmm. on a body or location, kind of like those crusader uh, tattoos we mentioned earlier. They essentially would, would let someone know this person has this condition. Please treat them accordingly. Yeah. Uh, you have, uh, in some cases, U.S. soldiers have a tattoo version of their dog tags that are sometimes called meat tags. And uh, this is essentially the same thing as the crusader tattoo that says, this dead body was so and so, and this is where they were formed. This is their unit, etc. Uh, but then you also see um, uh, medical tattoos uh, used in radiotherapy. Mm-hmm. You're using a radiation to uh, to, to treat uh, a very particular part of the body. You want to hit the same part, the same area each and every time. You need a permanent marker of where to to uh, apply that radiation. Yeah, and usually it's just 
four like freckle-sized dots and, you know, in sort of a square configuration that's mapping out that patch of tissue that needs to get hit over and over and over again. And the more accurate you can make that and the faster the process, especially for people who are going through, say, six-week or more radiation treatments, this can be really, really helpful. Indeed. Uh, Also, you'll see uh, medical tattoos sometimes used uh, for uh, areola replacement or or part of the areola replacement uh, following a mastectomy. So again, that's just, those are just some, some quick points on the, the long, rich timeline of uh, human tattooing. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we are going to talk about the actual mechanics of tattooing. Hey, we're back. Uh, so we've talked about uh, the history of tattooing, the culture of tattooing, and it brings us up to the modern day. Yeah, and before we really talk about the more of the modern aspects of tattooing, including the invention of the tattoo machine, we should say that um, the reason why tattooing became so popular, or one of the reasons, is uh, people like Joseph Banks, who was a naturalist aboard the, sh- the British ship Endeavour. And according to a Smithsonian article by Abigail West, he was one of the first to record Encounters with the Polynesian practice of tattooing. That's or tattoo. Um, and again, we're talking about 1769 when Banks was watching a 12-year-old girl being extensively adorned, and then he wrote about it, and it really captured the imaginations of a lot of people. And they then wanted to also participate with tattoos. And indeed, we we have a rich tradition of sailor tattoos. Um, <laughs> I think probably some of my first encounters with tattoos were individuals, say, in a, a church environment mm-hmm. who were veterans and uh, had been uh, sailors or, or, or otherwise engaged in the Second World War. And they would have these sort of faded, misshapen tattoos that may have once been mermaids or 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 just naked ladies or whatever, but had slowly turned into more sort of green uh blurs on their arms. And you can see the appeal because, you know, here you have back in the day, someone looking at these tribes, and you can see how sailors who consider themselves a community unto themselves, like a tribe, mm-hmm. might want to use this as bonding as well, or to tell stories about their travels. Yeah, and, and they're, of course, engaging in often uh, you know, risky employment out there on the, mm-hmm. on the, on the high seas. So uh, you have every reason to want to make something uh, a little permanent in your flesh uh, when you're dealing with all this uncertainty. So you won't be surprised to know that it became so popular that in December 8th of 1891, someone by the name of Samuel F. O'Reilly received a patent for the first tattoo machine, a two-coil electromagnetic tattoo needle. Now, his invention was actually a modification of Thomas Edison's 1876 electric pen patent. And O'Reilly saw how Edison's methods of ink transfer using a stencil and ink pen could be adapted for use in tattooing. And so what you have is this machine that just gets improved over and over again to the point where they get lighter, easier to handle, safer and less painful, and you get better inks. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the ink because because uh, uh, the, the ink has, has, has varied a lot. Uh, it's pretty... Uh pretty stable these days. It mm-hmm. tends to be more of like a vegetable-based uh, pigment. But in the past, you've seen it, seen it made from anything from, from soot to metal salts. Um, but again, nowadays you go into a, a tattoo parlor, if you're getting a, you know, an on-the-level tattoo, it's probably going to be something uh, more vegetable-based. Unless it's something super cutting-edge, which we'll talk about in yes. the next episode oh, when yes. we talk about the future mm-hmm. of tattoos. Don't want to give that away. 
But the tattoo gun, yeah, the the technology basically hasn't changed all that much. It's just got there's just been a refining process over the years where it gets gets uh, better and better because you can still build a very crude tattoo gun and uh, and do the work yourself or have your cellmate do it, which we don't recommend. Do not recommend. To even getting into a situation where you have a cellmate in the first place. Yeah, it, it, it's worth pointing out. I believe the the FDA does not uh, technically approve of tattooing or even henna tattoos. By the way, they say henna. Really? Yeah. Because I was I was looking at one of the uh, um, the more cutting edge techniques that we'll discuss later. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I saw a note that it was not approved by the FDA, so I I kind of looked into it a little bit and said, well, what does the FDA approve of? And uh, uh, seemed to indicate that uh, yeah, the FDA is really does not approve of any of the tattooing. So there you go. Huh? They're kind of old school like that. Yeah, I mean, you are talking about putting ink into your skin, so I you can't really expect the FDA to be two behind that. Yeah, let's talk about that. This machine is moving a solid needle up and down to puncture the skin between 50 and 3,000 times per minute. The needle penetrates the skin by about a millimeter and deposits a drop of insoluble ink into the skin with each puncture. And now, when those tattoo needles are puncturing the skin, they're going through the epidermis, the outer layer of the skin, and then they drive into the dermis, which is the second layer of the skin. And that layer is modeled with nerves and blood vessels. And if the tattoo artist is shading the design, Mm -hmm. then they're using this um, shader needle, which is comprised of several needles in a single bar. Otherwise, they're just using one single line needle. So again, epidermis is the outer layer. Dermis is the second layer. So when you're looking at a tattoo, you're looking through the epidermis into the dermis. That's where the actual uh, ink is contained. And that's really important because that has a lot to do with why they don't fade in the first place. Yeah, because, uh, you know, obviously there can be, it, it depends on where you get the tattoo, depends on the wear and tear, depends on uh, a number of factors. Tattoos do fade over time. Mm-hmm. If you were some sort of, a, you know, I would love to see this uh, tackled in some sort of fiction where there's an immortal character, be it, you know, kind of like a Highlander <laughs> or a vampire situation. What happens when they get that tattoo and they actually live 500, 600 years? How awful would that tattoo uh, look over the course of centuries? Yeah, instead of I love mom, it would just be like I love our mom. <laughs> um, yeah, because if it were just up to the epidermis, that first layer, it would slaw off. Now, consider that we shed 40,000 skin cells an hour. That's about a million a day. Yeah, in fact, the, the body replaces itself with a largely new set of cells every seven years to ten years, uh, and some of our most important parts are, are revamped even more rapidly. Uh, so we have red blood cells live for about four months. Uh, those poor cells that line your, your acid-filled stomach, they're lucky to last like five days. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, cells in the skeletal system are consist- consistently regenerating, but a full turnover takes a full decade. So, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly rebuilding our bodies as we, as we go through life. We're consuming food and we're consuming, uh, nutrients and we're, we're building everything back up again. And yet, the tattoo remains m- mostly stationary. Right. Because it's part and parcel because it's sort of trapped in the dermis, that second layer, but also, because of your immune system. And what I mean by that is that every puncture signals to the body to begin the inflammatory process. So you have immune cells racing to those puncture sites, and then you have special cells called macrophages. And they begin kind of, I'll say in quotes, eating the dye in an attempt to clean up the inflammation it's causing. And then the rest of the dye gets soaked up by skin cells called fibroblasts. 
and the fibroblasts, along with a lot of those macrophages, they kind of just stay suspended in the dermis in perpetuity. And so that's what you have showing through the skin. Yeah, and of course the dermis is uh, is is more uh, stationary than the epidermis. The epidermis is constantly slouching off, but but the the dermis is uh, is a little more set in stone, if you will. And I really think what's interesting about this is it's a story about the immune system helping this process to keep the ink in place in your body. Yeah, and then ultimately you have the you have ink that's just not uh, it's not small enough to be a factor for say white blood cells. Uh, mm-hmm. University of Pittsburgh Medical Center dermatologist James B. Bridenstine pointed out in a 1999 Scientific American article that tattoos remain in the skin because the ink particles are too large to be ingested by the white blood cells that patrol the body and carry away foreign bodies. So, you know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, police officers walking in front of some uh, graffiti art on a wall. Mm-hmm. It's not their jurisdiction to to deal with its removal. They're not going to remove it. And the white blood cells are saying, hey, it's not my problem. This thing's too big to be an issue to me anyway. Right. And that's why I think it's interesting. Those macrophages are trying. And some yeah. of them are successful in carrying away the dye particles. Yes. While others, uh, they just kind of sit there with it. And they're their bellies, really, yeah, suspended forever in the dermis. All right, so this, of course, brings up the question: How do we remove tattoos? How do you get rid of this 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 awful tattoo that you say got on spring break back in '96, <laughs> or or yeah. a lover's name that no longer seems uh, seems applicable? Like one that comes to my mind as a as a wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. There is, of course, a wrestler uh, that goes by the name the Undertaker, and for a while he had. Like one of his past wives, her name was Sarah, and he got her name tattooed on his throat. So it was very, very prominent uh, when you would see him uh, perform that uh, that Sarah meant a lot to him because her name was on his throat. And then eventually the name was gone, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was no longer married to her. So you 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 might wonder how do you get rid of of Sarah? How do you rid her name from your throat flesh? I wanted to mention that tattoo regret is actually fairly common, according to the American Society for Aesthetic plastic surgery, the number of people undergoing laser tattoo removal increased 43% from 2011 to 2012. I don't Mm -hmm. know, just like a bad year for for tattooing. And there's a 2012 British Association of Dermatologists survey that found that nearly one-third of people suffer, they say suffer, from tattoo regret. To be fair, this survey was really small, like 580 respondents, uh, 53% men, 47% women, and most tattoos were done by a professional, but half of the patients were over 40, which tells the story that a lot of these tattoos were done in the younger years, uh, between 18 and 25 years old. So yeah, it was a youthful indiscretion that they want to, <laughs> uh, to actually erase from their flesh, uh, when they're an adult. Yeah. And then occasionally too, you'll have medical complications. Um, the New England Journal of Medicine described contaminated ink causing infections of non-tuberculosis. Mycobacteria is really difficult to treat, and really the only option is removing that tattoo. I've also heard uh, that sometimes uh, tattoo removal uh, is is useful for people who are, who are very much still into their tattoos, mm-hmm. but uh, that essentially becomes a tool of retouching past tattoos. So you you have some sort of a you know star or a name or an emblem, and it's uh, maybe it's faded a little bit, or yeah. it's just not. Maybe it wasn't of, of the same quality as you, you want your other tattoos, and you, you don't want to erase it completely, but you want to touch it up. And tattoo removal techniques can be used to essentially make it look better. Indeed. Um, now, when we get to the actual mechanics of tattoo removal, just remember about the macrophages and this, you know, the dyes being too large, right, to break down in the dermis. 
and recall that information because when you are trying to remove a tattoo, what you're basically doing is aiming a laser at it and breaking it down into tinier and tinier particles so that those macrophages can consume it and take it away into the bloodstream to be flushed out of your body. Yeah, break it down to a level that they can handle it and to a level to where it's their business to handle it. And most tattoos require at least three to four treatments. They're spaced about eight weeks apart to remove. The cost can range from several hundred to several thousand dollars, depending on the size and the location of the tattoo. And it turns out that um, just black and white tattoos are the easiest to remove. Because those that black dye is easier to break down with a laser. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I I I would have thought that maybe some of the other colors would be easier to break down, but I guess the black is really stark. And, and yeah, it just it yeah. responds better to the laser. Now, um, the the removal is described as someone snapping a rubber band at your skin over and over again. Huh. So it's it's another sort of painful ritual that you go through. Yeah. Um. To uh. To to exercise. Some uh, force, some symbol, or some some presence from your life of purging. Yeah, right. It's almost like self-flagellation. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, a great way to, I guess, end a breakup or a marriage or something. You just actually just pay someone to use a laser beam to just blast their name out of your skin and let your your body's immune system <laughs> consume it. You can say that too. You can be like, right now, you, I'm purging you from my blood. Yeah. Yeah, my immune system is is eating the last of you now, Sarah. <laughs> now, given the, uh, the the number of individuals who end up needing to have a tattoo removed, it's it stands to reason that we would want to develop ink that is more easily removed to make tattoos, in a sense, a little less permanent. Knowing that we're going to get tattoos that we don't want to keep forever. I was thinking about that. I was like, this is good for the non-committal set, like myself, mm-hmm. who's like, oh, okay, maybe I'll get one if I know that it's going to break down much easier with a laser. And that brings us to uh, to the special uh, Infinity Ink, uh, manufactured by, what's the name of the company? Freedom to Ink. Freedom to Ink. Freedom because, to be you and me. Yeah, freedom to be me, you and me, but with uh, the caveat that we can, we can erase uh, things that we uh, put into our flesh. And the idea here is that you just have a, uh, a dye uh, that is easier to remove because the dye is stored in microscopic capsules. Uh, that will stay in the skin for good, but are more uh, easily broken down by the laser. So it's yeah. basically, let's make an ink that is easier to remove with the accepted techniques. There's nothing magic about it. You can't just rub a magnet on it and make it go away. Yeah. Uh, but it makes it easier to get rid of with the uh, with traditional means of uh, tattoo removal. Yeah, again, about the macrophages and the size, right? Yeah. So if you can get that dye particle as tiny as you can and just uh, suspend it in a polymer bead, then when you aim that laser at it, and it combusts that polymer bead, then it's so much easier to deal with by the body. And it seems like this uh, this ink is becoming more and more accessible and more and more uh, tattoo parlors um, around the world. But it uh, it does still kind of seem like a, an easy way out. Like, it, like why why do you want to have that? Having that escape route in place seems a little against uh, the, the idea of, of the permanency of the The tattoo. whole point, anyway, yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know. I guess it would be it would be definitely uh, beneficial. I could see for uh, for those uh, medical tattoos we were talking about, particularly uh, ones used in uh, radiation treatments. Yeah. Because uh, in many cases, uh, um, individuals who undergo that kind of treatment afterwards, even though we're talking about very small dots, mm-hmm. they might want to get rid of them because it it's it's a, a permanent uh, sign of this uh, this uh, this ordeal they had to go through. So. 
Or maybe it's just something that they should always offer when someone is getting a, um, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend's name tattooed. Like, hon, do you want to upgrade a bit and go to this <laughs> other ink, you know? It's sort of offered as a, as a, you know, behind the counter kind of sale. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I, I know she means a lot to you, but trust me. Five, ten years from now? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, just I don't know why the tattoo artist is talking like that. Yeah, well, you generally want all your relationship advice from a tattoo artist, generally speaking. Oh, I yeah. think a tattoo artist could provide great relationship advice. Are you kidding? They probably have seen true. everything true. and probably know more about the human experience than most of us. I've heard uh, a, a friend of a friend uh, used to work at a tattoo uh, parlor in Athens, Georgia, and supposedly the parlor had a had a, sh- had a wall of shame in the back where they would put the particularly bad uh, tattoos that individuals had uh, had paid for. Like so. their own workmanship or just like more of like uh, the like, hey, I want this dolphin sitting on a lazy boy. I think that kind of thing, you know, or particularly like racist tattoos, oh. just things where you're like, oh, why would someone do that? I think it, it probably, you know, there, there was a range from just the the, the, the head scratching tattoos to mm-hmm. like the, the purely awful uh, tattoos. I have a challenge for you guys out there. Can so. you come up with a tattoo that I should get? And I'm not saying I'm going to get it, okay? I'm just saying, because you know I'm noncommittal, but yeah. I'm intrigued by it. Christian Steinmetz of uh, Stuff of Genius mm-hmm. and other House of Works um, joints, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he and I were talking one day and saying that we should get, all get like one bonding tattoo. And what should that be? And of course, the House of Logo came up as an idea, which is a question mark if you guys aren't familiar with it. Oh, yeah. And then we thought, yes, tramp stamps of the House of Works logo. And then we quickly decided that's a terrible idea and so confusing for anybody who might be amorously involved with us. Yeah, it does. It, yeah, <laughs> I could see that being problematic. Well, maybe we should put it, we should all get it right here on our, uh, our third eye. Or in know? the pineal gland. Yeah. Yes, over the pineal gland. We should probably should pick one chakra. Just go pick one of these chakras that, that, uh, that relates most to your... Um, the, t- the sort of content that you produce for How Stuff Works, uh-huh. and that's where you get it. I like it. Yeah. What are the car stuff guys going to do? Oh, which which chakra is the automotive chakra? I can't remember. <laughs> um, the pelvic region. Yeah. All right, so there you have it. Um, a crash course in some of the some of the interesting points of uh, tattooing uh, history and culture that, that we found interesting, um, as well as the science of tattoos, the science of tattoo removals, and uh, in our next episode, we're going to look to some of the more cutting edge uh, and indeed uh, near future applications of tattoos, the future of tattooing. So look forward to that episode. And in the meantime, make sure you go to stufftoblowyourmind.com because that is fi- where you will find all the podcast episodes, all the videos, all the blog posts, as well as links out to various social media accounts that we maintain. And if you would like to send us your thoughts about tattoos, because I bet you guys have some experiences out there or some things that you'd like to share, you can do that by emailing us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. <laughs>